Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel, they do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever, drop them a line. Go to 20 by 20 apparel. That's the number 20 X, the number 20 apparel.com. Now let's get to the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bum me, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yelling what it goes. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my ass. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I am your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And on Fresh of the Word, we like to deliver wisdom through great stories in the minds of bright creatives of pop culture. And through those stories, we like to dissect the journey of our guest and present actionable lessons and advice for our listeners, no matter what career or avenue of artistry they pursue. This episode is episode 132. My guest is Vita Alea who is a queer, non-binary, Afro-Latinx comic writer from New York City. As quoted on Vita's Twitter, Queer and Brown is my brand. Ayala has written some franchise stuff for DC, Marvel, and Valiant, and some creator-owned stuff like The Wilds and Submerged, in many genres like horror, YA, superhero, thriller, drama, and romance. You can currently catch Vita's run on comics like Valiant's Livewire or Black Mask's Black AF Devil's Die. And during our chat, we talked about writing authentic dialogue, how she got started writing comic books, the collaborative effort of making comics, how a good editor improves your work, Black AF Devil's Die, The Wilds, representation of marginalized groups in comics, the women's role in the comic book industry, Livewire, being a wrestling fan, and the music that she listens to. But before we get into this interview with Vita, I definitely want to give a shout out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Foulmouth for the theme music for Fresh of the Word. And I want to just remind you how you can support the podcast. 
I do have a Patreon page now. You can go to patreon.com slash fresh of the word and just for as little as a dollar, one dollar a month, one dollar a month, you can uh, support me. And for the three dollar a month tier, I will be breaking up, breaking out the, the audio archives of stuff that I did outside of the podcast for, for written articles. There's a ton of stuff that I'm going to be, uh, be dropping from now on. So um, twice a month, there's going to be a Patreon only podcast with these archived interviews. And it could be interviews with Danny Brown, Chino Moreno from the Deftones, Flying Lotus, Ma Dukes, Jay Della's mom. Uh, dude, I don't, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta, I still have to go through and make a list of everything that I got available, but I have so much stuff, you know, and then there's, um, you know, there's, there's bigger, you know, there's, you know, bigger tiers also $5, $25 and stuff where you can actually be a part of the show in some way to, uh, so definitely go to patreon.com slash kfresh and help, please support how you can It'll definitely help me out. And you can always email me at djkfresh at gmail.com if you have any questions, concerns, anything you want to pitch. And you can uh, go, you can uh, support, uh, you can also subscribe and listen to Fresh the Word pretty much anywhere where podcasts are streamed. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, pretty much anywhere. Ratings and reviews definitely are appreciated and would help out the show. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Fresh of the Word and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KFresh. And you can follow Fresh of the Word on Twitter at Fresh is the Word, and that's is with I Z. Instagram at Fresh of the Word Podcast. And Facebook at Facebook.com slash Fresh of the Podcast. All right, enough of that. Let's get on to the interview with Vita Ayala. Okay, I'm interviewing you now, and uh, I recently interviewed uh, Leanna Kangas, who uh, yes. you worked with. And she had so many, so much good stuff to uh, say about you on her episode and called you her uh, music soulmates. It was super fun. She's the best. We actually, we constantly are just sending each other playlists and stuff. I'm actually going to hit her up right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she she said that uh, you you guys did that. And um, so, yeah, I've been following your work recently. Uh, I, um... I think I came uh, like uh, started uh, reading your stuff with uh, maybe submerged because mm-hmm. I remember I had um, I had uh, met Lisa Sturl and her husband at one of the comic cons and bought um, bought their uh, comic uh, um, Long Lost. Long Lost, oh, yeah, so good. Yeah, so and good. then um, I loved her work, so I was looking at other things, and that's when I came came upon Submerged, and I really liked that story. Um, and what I, what I, what I really liked about um, that in a lot of your work, and this is something that even somebody else just like said, not about your work, but in general, is that what I think you do well is you are able to place like local slang or you know, lo- local diction into the comic to make it feel like it's authentic. You know, how important is to have that sort of authentic- authenticity into your comics? 
it's really important to me and it's something that I stress about all the time. I never think that I'm doing dialogue right. I think that's just what writers in general, they, you know, they get down to the dialogue and they're like, oh no, how do people speak in real life? What is <laughs> happening? Um, but yeah, I try when it's stuff that's rooted in kind of more of the real world, like I guess submerged is kind of, but you know what I mean? Like um, I try and remember what, the age group is of the character and try to go from there. Whereas when I get to make up the universe, like uh whole cloth, like in um, the wilds, I have to make up this line myself. <laughs> right. And what I liked about Submerged too, is that just the whole feeling of um, the, the comics, especially at the beginning um, being set in New York, it made me feel like when I was stuck in New York for hurricane Irene, years ago oh, wow. <laughs> and that's what yeah. i liked about it too was just the whole uh, sort of atmosphere of you know what was the dialogue and the look of the comic book you know so I, I felt like the whole like the whole environment of the comic book was very authentic to like hey there, there's a storm coming what would happen yeah it was um i mean you know i've been in the city for most of my life uh, i was born here and raised here i went to college elsewhere but i came back and uh it was really important to me to be as authentic in that way as possible. And also um, Lisa was very into like research or like, you know, like reference stuff that I would send her and stuff. We actually bonded a bun about a bunch of other stuff that we liked. So we were sending each other like Pinterest stuff all the time. And <laughs> I feel so bad for her because she had to draw so many freaking like trains, but she, <laughs> she really like dove deep into it and, and haha, sorry, did not mean to pun. Uh, and uh, <laughs> she, she's one of those people that no matter what she's drawing, it feels real. It feels like you're actually there. And so I, I think I lucked out a lot there. Now, going back, you know, how did you first get into uh, wanting to be a, a, a comic book writer? I, uh, well, I've been writing for a very long time, since I was about 10, kind of compulsively and obsessively, right. like everyday writing. Um, and I didn't actually, <laughs> I didn't actually know that it was like a thing you could do as a job for a very long time, like embarrassingly long until I was about 19 or so. Um, when I started working at Forbidden Planet, which is a comic book shop in New York. Um, and I started to actually read the like credits. <laughs> all the all the staff at the store would start talking about their favorite comic book artists, and that was something I understood. But to me, I didn't realize you could be a writer separately, not being able to draw. Um, so around 19, I started getting this inkling, but it wasn't really until 2012 um, when I was working at the shop with Matt Rosenberg, who was hustling to be a comic book writer, that I really understood that this was something that was within my sphere of, uh, of being able to achieve, I guess. And so he encouraged me a lot. Actually, he encouraged me to pitch and encouraged me to, you know, he was, he's a really cool guy. He's one of my best friends. Um, but yeah, I think probably 2012 was when I really thought, you know what, I can do this and I'm going to try. What was the first thing that you ever wrote that you tried to submit to, to anything or actually did something serious with? Um, I wrote prose before I wrote comics and uh, I did send a story out on submission by my own little self. Uh, <laughs> it was something that I had worked on in college and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to try for it. Um, 
and it was, it's a short story. I love short stories. Um, it's a short story <laughs> that's written in the second person. So in the like, you do this, you do that uh, perspective, which was fun. Uh, it did not go anywhere. Uh, I, one day I hope to return to it and actually do something. But um, <laughs> yeah, around 2013 or so, um, another friend of mine started a magazine uh, called Lovers and Other Strangers where uh, you could, as a writer, you submit to want to write and then you get photographs and you have to write a short story about the photograph. And so I did that and that was a lot of fun too. Oh, nice, nice. When you were kind of starting this journey uh, into this this new world of writing, writing for comic books, you know, what was sort of some of the lessons that you learned during that journey, and what were you know what were you doing to sort of get better at it, or just you know swim in those waters during that time? Uh, I learned very early to take notes. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of the most important uh, things that anyone can do when when you're working in a collaborative field, right? Um, but especially because everything, like the writer starts the process. I, I don't have the hardest job to do, um, but I do have to kick it off, which is its own kind of hardship. And so if I'm being precious about something, that means that I'm gonna kind of screw up the rest of the process. Um, but also, I, and this was, you know, this before I had to take notes, even just in the back of my mind, I always, loved story and loved storytelling. And I always wanted whatever that I was writing to be the best it possibly could. And so uh, going into comics made me have to do it at a fast speed. <laughs> like, okay, they're not trying to hurt your feelings. You have to figure out <laughs> why they're giving you this note so that you can kind of, you can hit that. Um, and that's the second thing. Like when you get notes, it's not always you have to do literally what they're telling you. You just have to figure out what the spirit of the note is and kind of go from there. Um, and to me, that was one of the, yeah, the most important things. And then the other was, and this one I learned immediately because I was paired immediately with incredible artists. Um, whatever you thought was going to be on the page, it's not going to happen, but it's going to be way cooler than anything you can imagine. <laughs> it's just true, you know? And I, you know, I talked to some people who are, are much more, I'm really laid back and easy. Um, even in my scripts, I'm like, listen, here's what I'm thinking. If you have a better idea, as long as this kind of idea is conveyed, I trust you. But I know some people who are much more kind of like, no ad-libbing, do what I say. And I'm like, why? You, If you could draw it, you would. <laughs> like, <laughs> Just let the artists do what they want to, you know what I mean? Like, do what they need to do and find a way to communicate in that way. Right. Uh, so, yeah. I guess communication. I learned, I learned how to collaborate pretty quickly in communication, and it's been a blast. Right, yeah, that was kind of like the next thing I wanted to talk about is the sort of the communication be between the collaborators. Um, and something you said really is, you know, a good idea to talk, something to talk about is the, is working in the spirit of the notes that you get back from people. You know, how do you uh, go about collaborating with other people, you know, while still having that wiggle room to still have your, ad your, your sort of edge on what you want to do in kind of taking those spirits of the notes to go into the direction that sort of the group wants to go, go into. I think if it's something that's you have time on like a creator owned project, um, kind of doing a lot of prep work and communication and talking about the ideas goes a long way. So that by the time I sit down to write a script, for example, um, 
my artists and I, or, you know, my artists, my colorist and I, or in, in the letter, if we know who the letter is kind of, are on the same basic page. Um, and then from, so there's less chance of misunderstanding or miscommunication. Um, but if it's something that's franchise, um, I, I do what I can. And then when I get the notes back, um, sometimes I'll email the editor and be like, okay, this is why I did this. Would this be a solution or whatever? Um, but if not, you know, you really have to look at whatever the story is as a whole and then figure out how to address the note in a way that helps shape this, the larger story, not just this one scene. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, I push back sometimes and, and I've been again, blessed to work with editors that understand where I'm coming from. And so we'll meet me halfway. Um, but yeah, it's all about communicating and also picking your battles. Sometimes I will let something go because I know later on I'll be able to push back on a note in that, you know, at the end of the day, literally everyone working on it just wants to make the best and coolest thing possible. And so I have to keep in mind too, that like they are seeing things that I might not see because I am working at it just on this one level. Um, yeah. Is there any times when those, you know, the feedback that you get from other people, editors or whatnot, it is, is feedback that they don't want to budge on that. That's the golden rule. That's what they want. And they want it to the T, you know, has that ever happened to you? There have been some things where, yeah, I've just had to let it go. Uh, not often though, I will say, because again, like comics is such a collaborative medium that you really are getting into it to work with other people to create something cool. And so very rarely, um, but you know, like I've done franchise stuff. So like I, you know, if I'm working on Wonder Woman, I can't kill Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not a thing. I never would, but like that's never gonna happen. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, with Livewire too, like there are certain things like Livewire, I got to, I mean, issues one through three are out. So this is kind of not really a spoiler, but if it is, I'm going to do a spoiler for the next 10 seconds for something that's already out, but she loses her powers in the first arc. Um, so like, that's a really big thing. They supported me in that, but there are certain things while she didn't have her powers that I couldn't do. I can't give her a permanent scar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I can't chop off a limb. So, but you know, when you're working with other people's property and, and on kind of characters that you love or you kind of have, been a fan of before you you already kind of know the rules right like superman does not do well with kryptonite you know that that's just established you don't have to you know i'm not gonna go in if i wrote superman and write a scene where he's eating kryptonite like they're wheaties like you know what i mean <laughs> um, but yeah i i feel like because we all for the most part especially in terms of like editors and the people that curate kind of the franchise stuff we've all gone into it because we want to make cool stuff and want to work with other people that have different kind of points of view very few things are hard line in that way if you can kind of justify why you're doing a thing and why it won't completely demolish the character going forward then people are generally pretty supportive right right was there anything about just the idea of working in a group collaborative effort personally that you had to any obstacles that you had to get through to, you know, be, you know, a comic book writer? Um, I, I have a raging imposter syndrome. So like it took me a while to be able to, and, and again, 
props to the editors I was working with at the time, but it took me a while to be able to learn how to kind of take the notes without like hurting inside and being like, I'm, I'm bad at this and why am I doing this? Um, but again, it just so happened that the first couple of editors that I worked with, I was actually either already friends with or had really clicked with. And so I could go to them and be like, listen, am I just screwing this up? And they're like, no, <laughs> everyone gets notes. Like, um, so yeah, I, I grew up with a lot of siblings. So working with others and kind of, I'm an older sibling too. So being kind of, uh, the person that starts the ball rolling is not something that's unknown to me. So really it was more like, I had to figure out how to not take things personally. And when I take things personally, I don't tend to lash out. I tend to get really sad and quiet. And so I had a really great supportive relationship with my editors. And I think that I'm better now. I think that I know <laughs> when I can push back and stuff. So, Yeah, you've mentioned this a few times already. Um, what does having a good editor do to your work? You know, how does it improve your work? So much. Um, I think for creator-owned stuff, uh, especially, uh, I mean, across the board, but with creator owned stuff, I think it's incredibly important because you get into this thing where you know everything about the world, you know everything about the characters. And so you sometimes miss what you need to put on the page to make sure other people are still following you, right? Um, so you know the answers to certain things and you know how they're going to play out. But if you don't see things properly, then it can be confusing. And an editor comes in and goes, okay. I don't understand why this is happening without you explaining it to me verbally. You have to put it on the page instead. Um, an editor is your person that you're bouncing ideas off of. They're the ones that are going to be honest with you, but also supportive of you. Um, they also kind of like, I don't know if I ever need to be reined in, but they're the ones that kind of go, okay, we can only do so much. This is how much room we have. They're, they're like the management. They're the point person. Um, I think your editor should absolutely like, you should definitely have a good relationship with your editor. It, it can only make your work better. Uh, someone explained it and I can't remember who it was, so I'm sorry. Um, but like you, it's like if you're throwing a party and it's your house and you're doing all this stuff and decorating, the editor comes in and goes, cool. I love what you've done. I think putting this couch in front of the door, people have to come through is not really going to work out for this party. <laughs> <laughs> And I wish I remembered who had said that because I was like, holy crap, that makes so much. That's the perfect way to describe it. Right. They're the person that comes in and goes, let's let's play with the layout. Let's make this as feng shui as we can as we can make it. Currently, um, people can check out uh, your writing on the Black AF Devils Die comic book. Yeah. <laughs> what um, how did you um, come about being involved with that story? Yeah, I uh, so I have a book at Black Mask uh, that's my own work called The Wilds, um, and I've been working on it for quite some time. My co-creator is Emily Pearson, and she's awesome. Um, but so I, Black Mask is a very small company, and the creative teams mostly kind of know each other and are friends with each other. Um, so you know, we go whenever there's a convention and we're there. We're probably like stuff like that because it is a very small company um and i got to know uh the guys that do black uh kwanzaa and tim and jamal well i knew a bunch of them anyway um and kari um and kwanzaa and i it, most of us actually live in the same city and so occasionally we speak to each other outside of conventions um and i'm a very big fan of all of their work and uh kwanzaa and i got to talking at a convention and we really kind of broke down and 
when he decided that he wanted to expand the universe and kind of bring in other people, um, I was very, very familiar with the universe already. I had read all of the books that were out and, you know, I'm, again, I'm friends with the, with the guys. And he was like, Hey, I, you know, I think I need a, pers- a, a different perspective than my own on this particular story. I have a basic plot and he plotted out kind of, you know, uh, issue stuff. He was like, but I, I want someone else to write it. And I think that you'd be really good for it. Um, and the editor, uh, Sarah Litt, who is absolutely one of the greatest people on the planet. Um, and is also super, super supportive, uh, was like, yes, you're, if you can do it, then you're doing it. And that's it. I was like, all right, I'm in. Um, and then Sarah brought in Liana, but Liana and I had been trying to like work together on something. And I had kind of been like, Hey, Sarah, I don't know, but like, maybe Liana's like not busy. And Sarah was like, I see you broing down online. I know we're going <laughs> to, we're going to get you guys to work together, which was awesome. Liana is one of my favorite human beings on this planet. She is incredibly, incredibly skilled and also incredibly sweet. So she's awesome. And has very good taste in music. Yeah. She's, she's awesome. Um, so yeah, that yeah. is, that is kind of how I got involved. Um, I think comics, especially indie comics is like that though. You, you, you do so much work by yourself and it's this like, you know, you blood, sweat and tears into your work and you meet other people that are that passionate. And then when you have a chance to kind of work with them, you want to make it happen. And so that like from, for me and Liana working with Sarah and Kwanzaa, like that's what happened. You know, we, we respect each other's work and it was just an opportunity presented itself. Right. I remember when I was first, uh, your name kind of first came about like just, uh, on Twitter, people talking about your, uh, your, your comic books. I, um, I, I still haven't gone back to, um, read any of it, but it seems like the wilds did definitely get a lot of love and appreciation, um, in the comic book world. What was, you know, your experience writing that? Uh, it was, it was hard. Uh, that book is my like baby. I'd been kind of working in that universe, at least in my mind and in scraps of paper since college. Um, and then, linking up with Emily, Emily changed a huge, huge chunks of how that story went and how the universe kind of existed. Um, you know, she's my co-creator from top to bottom and, uh, it became easier the more she and I talked and the more I got to see kind of her art and what she wanted to do. But yeah, I mean, the first couple of issues were very difficult to write. Um, cause it's a lot, I put a lot of myself into it. Um, and, and, you know, People have been, you know, incredibly, incredibly supportive of the book, which makes us feel really good because, again, Emily and I put a lot of work into it. But it's a, it's my first creator-owned title. So I think whenever it's the first one of anything you do, it's going to be the experiment. It's going to be the harder one. And it just so happens that it's a series that, has a lot of layers and could go on forever. <laughs> so I set myself up to, uh, to be stressed about it. <laughs> in, in short, what's the wilds about? Cause like I said, I still haven't gone back and actually listen or, or read that one yet. Yeah, sure. The wilds is a puck. Sorry. My cat is like messing with my pens on the table. <laughs> He's very cute and he knows it. Um, right. the wilds is, <laughs> is a post-apocalyptic, uh, book, uh, set in a universe where instead of being grotesque, uh, the zombies are beautiful. They have flowers growing out of them. Um, yeah, they're real, real pretty. And 
the story follows a small group of survivors called runners who are mostly brown and queer folk. And they discover that there's this medical compound who's kidnapping quote unquote undesirable people and experimenting on them. And they decide to shut that down. Main character is a black queer woman named Daisy Walker. Um, and the other main character is her lover, uh, Heather Weifel, and it's it's a good time, man. It's real rugged, but it's it's a good time. I love post-apocalyptic stuff in general, um, and I really I find stories about rebuilding society really interesting. And we don't really get to see it from the perspective of brown people, especially brown women, as much. And so I really wanted to kind of make that my first my first attempt. Right. Um, yeah, it's I mean thematically, it's about how brown people, especially brown women, especially black women, are required to do all of this, you know, emotional and physical labor and then just get nothing in return. Yeah. Um, and how, you know, we kind of even can start buying into it as as people because we're like, well, I fire all of the time. So if I don't do it, then people will die and yada, yada, yada. But it it's about how it's okay for us you know, as people of color and as femmes of color and black femmes be like, actually, everyone can do the work. <laughs> not, not just me. That's not fair. I'll do what I have to do. And, you know, but it's, it's not fair and I'm not going to stand for it. Um, but no one cares about that kind of thing. So again, the zombies are really cool. <laughs> really beautiful. Right. Yeah. Like it says on your, uh, on your Twitter page on the pinned link, you said queer and Brown is my brand. How hundred percent, hundred percent. How important is it to, you know, for representation, not only in your comic books, but in just the comic book industry in general? I think it's incredibly important. Um, to me, comics was a place where I saw, you know, uh, characters that were like me long before I saw them elsewhere. And comics are accessible, I think, in a way that a lot of other mediums are not. If you can't afford to go to the movie you can go to the library, then you have access to comic books. As long as you're able to physically interact with them, comic books are accessible. And, you know, they're some of the first things that a lot of kids read. And so to be able to see yourself existing and being the hero or the, you know, I mean, I don't think we should only be heroes, but being a character that has, you know, is complex and has layers and does things and has autonomy is, is incredibly important. I mean, you know that Star Trek is why we had black astronauts, right? Because they saw Nichelle Nichols and they were like, oh my God, we actually have a place in space. Like, that's crazy. That's like, that's, it's true and it's huge. And that to me, I, I heard that story. Uh, she told that story. And to me, that like changed my life. I was like, yeah, that's, that's why representation is important because we can actually see ourselves existing. We were not invisible. Um, and so, yeah, to me, it's really important to write kind of not just for people like me, but for people who aren't like me, who don't know people like me. Right. It's important that people n know that we exist and that we're human beings, not just like a statistic. Um, in college, I was many people's first black friend and first like queer friend and certainly their first black queer friend. And I was like, how is that possible? <laughs> like, <laughs> We're in New York state. This is insane. Like, wow. but, and you know, I and representation goes a long way towards making people empathetic. I think 
just on a foundational level. And so, so yeah, I think it's like fundamentally important. Not only Sorry, represents- my cat is very loud. <laughs> It's fine. I'm all, I'm always, I always have I have a bunch of episodes where somebody's dog, somebody's cat, somebody's kid are the uh, are also the guest. <laughs> guest starring my boys. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um not only representation, but how important or what do what do writers or even the artists or the editors need to do to make sure that these other groups, you know, whether it's, you know, they're queer or brown, black, whatever, are written properly in these comic books authentically? That's a really great question. Um, I think part of it, uh, I think it's three, it's three things. And I'm going to be very kind and generous and say that most people aren't trying to not include representation and to, or to write it poorly. I think I'm going to be kind and say that it's not intentional, right? I think that one of the things that's really important is recognizing bias. We're just so used to a certain kind of default. And so when you have an opportunity to create a character or a situation, you have to ask yourself, why am I doing it with this kind of character? And I think that if you do that more and more often, or asking yourself, well, if it's a dude, why does it have to be a dude? Why can't it be a woman? Why can't it be a non-binary person or an agender person? Why do we have to make them, you know, this? The more you ask yourself the question, the more you realize, oh, well, actually, for the most part, you know, it'll change details and it'll change kind of perspective, but it won't ruin a plot if it's not the thing that I automatically wanted to do or whatever. Um, I think another part of it is um, getting people who are of that experience to work on the project, whether it be the editor or the writer or the artist, um, someone, you know, people with a voice. Um, because then you have people that won't necessarily be able to speak for all of whatever the group is, but will have kind of a perspective that's coming from that. Um, and then third, I mean, I think sensitivity readers are really, really important and not used enough. Um, and I think in comics, it can be hard uh, because comics are at a breakneck pace. You know what I mean? Like you have to just, you're just making comics all of the time. But I think if you have the opportunity and the time to get a sensitivity reader or to, I mean, you should always do the research, even if you're not getting a sensitivity reader, but to do kind of in-depth research and to talk to people of the, you know, whatever the perspective is, and that's going to be really, really important towards making it more authentic. The the idea of, of like employing the correct people to create this content, uh, do you feel like the comic book uh, industry is employing enough women or enough, you know, queer people or whatever, you know, to be able to monitor these uh, issues? Because I know that's like definitely a problem in like the movie industry. They're always like, <laughs> we can't, we can't, oh, we don't, we're hiring like a, a white man to direct a movie about something about women's, a woman in the Middle East or something. I don't know. But <laughs> there's always some sort of like why you couldn't find a woman to direct it. There's a lot of badass women, but do you feel like in the comic book industry, there's, they're getting the right people to, uh, to create this content or is it just getting better? You know, what's your thoughts about that? I think it's getting better. I, to me, it's never enough until we have kind of a, a mix of people behind the scenes where 
an individual would feel comfortable bringing up an issue, then we're not there yet, right? So, like, it's not enough to have a Black person in the room because, A, they might not feel comfortable speaking up about certain issues for fear of their job or not being backed up, and then, B, sometimes they'll bring up an issue, and because they're the only one, it's not... They're not listened to. So until you have kind of an environment where people can talk about these things and be validated, then it's not enough. But also, I, I think for a long time... It was just, you know, someone worked in a place and they got their friends to work in a place and so on and so forth. And, and that's how that's how it works. And it now has kind of expanded to go, well, yeah, I want to bring in more people that are different from me. And that is now available. So let's get in people. I personally know many women and in even non-binary and agender people working in comics today. And it's not... There was no like box ticking. It was just like, oh, we have this position open or we have this opportunity. And actually, I think that you would be very good for it. And now we live in an era where I can go and find you easily because Google exists and Twitter exists <laughs> and Instagram exists. I think accessibility of people has made it so that the industry is becoming more and more inclusive. When sort of tackling any sort of like maybe touchy subjects that might be connected to any sort of marginalized group of people uh, within the stories. How do you uh, go about, you know, getting through any of that? If you feel, if, if you're getting any, you know, pushback from editors or whatnot, is there a, you know, a give and take in regards to issues like that? I, I don't know. I, you know, every time I've had to do something in terms of like other people's property that dealt with, um, issues surrounding marginalized people, I have been trusted with my own perspective, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I have not really, maybe once or twice I have gotten some pushback, but for the, it's usually came from a place of, I don't understand why you're doing it this way. Um, and not a like, no, we can't do that uh, kind of perspective. Um I think, again, going back to what I'd said before, I, everyone is really trying to do the best thing possible. And I think that more and more people with the perspective are trusted to kind of represent at least themselves, right? We can't represent everyone that... I can't represent everyone that's queer and brown, <laughs> but I can represent my own perspective. Um, and there is a certain level of respect that is afforded to me when dealing with those issues. Um, but also I, I try myself to make it a point to do more research, even if it's issues that I'm acquainted with. Um, and I think too that uh, most people working, they try and do that. And so we are given kind of space to, to incorporate that as well. Right. Uh, another, uh, another book that is currently out these days and you, um, you mentioned it earlier is a uh, live wire, and I first heard about this when they um they announced uh, that another person I had on the podcast, Heather Antos, was going to be an editor mm. at Valiant. Um, where you know how did this come come about? I she came on after I was already working on the project, but uh, I I was brought on. Uh, I was asked to pitch by Joe Illage, uh, who's no longer with Valiant, but was uh, the executive editor at the time. Okay. Um, and I was, hold on one second. Okay. 
and sorry about that. My, it's all good. My, my cats once again. Um, but yeah, I was one of multiple people pitching, um, but it just so happened to be that the pitch that I gave made the most sense for Valiant. And then after he was gone and Heather was brought on, um, it, it was great actually. It's, it's really, really great working with her. Um, I loved working with Joe and I miss him. Uh, <laughs> but Heather and I uh, feel very comfortable kind of talking back and forth and kind of really getting into the nitty gritty of story and character. Um, so I'm lucky in that I didn't lose that when, when Joe left the book. Joe and I had the same kind of relationship where we'd go back and forth and I'd be like, no, this is what it is. And he'd be like, really? Well, why do you think that? And we'd kind of do what we do. What's, uh, what's Livewire about? Livewire is uh, a book about a woman who is a psyot, which is Valiant's uh, superpowered people. They all have psionic powers. Yeah. Um, and she, in particular, is a technomancer, which means that she can control technology with her mind. Uh, and that goes from your computer to your car. She is incredibly powerful, also incredibly intelligent. Um, and uh, it follows directly after Harbinger Wars 2, which was their summer event last year in which the government started hunting psyots and she was like, absolutely not. And turned off the country. Um, and that led to all kinds of catastrophes. So this picks up directly after that, where she's on the run from the government on the run from everyone. She's a fugitive. Um, and she is also kind of trying to figure out what her next steps are as someone who sees himself as a hero and wants to help people. How can she do that when she has been responsible for a lot of harm that was unintentional? Um, it's about, bringing her back to a place where she is a force for good. Yeah. That's, that sounds interesting. Like we're in this world where technology is so a part of us. And like you said, in this story, when it's all gone, when there's no power, like everything goes to shit. What was your idea going into writing this? I, after reading Harbinger, well, after reading Secret Weapons, which is uh, another book that Livewire was featured in, um, and it's like my favorite thing that Valiant has done is truly incredible. Um, I knew that I wanted to get her back to that feeling, the feeling uh, that you get of her when you read Secret Weapons. After Harbinger Wars 2, that was going to be kind of really difficult. Um, and so going into this, I was like, what would it take? to get her there uh, in her own mind and, and, you know, as a character, but also to get readers back to that feeling. Um, and so this whole first arc is kind of my attempt to do that. Um, she has to first admit that she did something that was really harmful and that hurt lots and lots of people that she didn't mean to hurt before she can ever even hope to become a hero again. So, yeah. I just really, I love a redemption story. I'm a huge mark for that kind of thing. I love Xena. <laughs> Xena's my favorite thing. And so, like, to me, the chance to write a really intense re redemption arc uh, was very, very appealing. Yeah, for the story, there's this idea of, okay, now she's being hun hunted for something that, you know, she did. And she needs to, you know, accept the fact that she did that. But she did it because for her own reasons, because she was trying to survive. Sort of, how do you feel like right. that? That sort of parallels real life. It's hard, right? So, like, one of the things that I wanted people to feel is that, like, yeah, like she really did hurt a lot of people, but they were coming for her kids, right? And they came for her, and she had the power, and she did what she had to do. Like, um, it. 
yeah, that was, it's, it's intense. Um, I'm sorry. What the, what was the question again? Just thinking about that, like stresses me out. <laughs> I was just saying, how does that sort of parallel just real life? I think, oh, well, that's a question that we could talk about for a whole podcast, right? But right. I think one of the things that I wanted to do as well is kind of have this conversation about how we treat black women <laughs> in real life where, you know, black women are expected to do all this work and, and are among the population of the most harmed by not just, you know, individuals, but by the system. Um, and how we're supposed to just take it. Um, and, you know, that we do get angry and that in a very real way, it's understandable the you know, the backlash that, you know, we have from that. But at the same time, what is the line and when is it right to hurt someone else? Um, I mean, it's a really complex conversation. And I don't think that, I think I wasn't trying to answer the question. I was just trying to raise the point. Like, yeah, I want people to feel like what she did is understandable, even if it's not right. Um, and then to turn around and go, are there people that are being hurt that we only see them when they are finally done and lashing out and we punish them for it in real life? Oh, there are. Maybe we should reevaluate things then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, you mentioned this right when we first started talking. You, um, yeah, because uh, Elimination Chamber was last night, WWE pay per view. <laughs> and I've always noticed that you were a wrestling fan, and so am I. I'm a big wrestling fan, all sorts of stuff nice. from, from here to Japan, you know? So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, how long have you been a wrestling fan? Oh, man. Uh, since I was a kid, uh, my cousins always had all of the latest toys and stuff. My, my immediate family did not have very much money. We didn't have cable or like computers or anything, but my cousins had like video games and like action figures. And I remember my cousin Armando got the like wrestling buddies. There were these like pillows shaped like wrestlers. Yeah. Do all the moves. And immediately it appealed to me uh, who I was, a I was a very active child. And I was like, yes, we can fight each other and fight these pillows. Um, and they got the little like, the WrestleMania like ring set with all the action figures. And I was like, what is this? Like, what, what is this from? Like, this looks so fun. And so they like sat me down and let me watch wrestling. And I was, I was in, I was a huge, like ultimate warrior fan. <laughs> and then Hulk Hogan at the time, no longer clearly, but like right. at the time, um, always undertaker undertaker, like continues to, like reaffirm my love of wrestling. He really does. He's, he's a good guy. Um, yeah. and then when stone cold came on, I was like, Oh, I'm set. This is it. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Those so. are good. Yeah. Those are some good days. Yeah. I still follow it. And I'm like huge into the, like Japanese wrestling these days too. <sighs> Me too. Me too. I, uh, I'll watch almost any wrestling, honestly, but <laughs> I've been impressed with the women's wrestling storylines from, uh, the main WWE kind right. of line. Um, and NXT is always awesome. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, I've been I've been with that stuff. I quit after China wasn't wrestling for yeah. a while. I was like, what's the point? China's not there. I don't care. But uh, they got me back. <laughs> hey, they announced that uh, she's going in the Hall of Fame with DX today. Finally, finally, side note, camera two, she does not get enough love. They did her so dirty. Oh. Uh, she deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, totally, totally. She... She was so unique, 
like there's no one like her. Ninth wonder of the world. Man. Ninth wonder of the world <laughs> needed to be in the Hall of Fame. Needs to be in the Hall of Fame by herself. Yes, a hundred percent. Right, not just with DX by herself. You know, she was ninth wonder of the world. It was awesome. <laughs> Who, um, you mentioned the, uh, you know, the current women's division WWE. You know, what what did you think of the uh, the elimination chamber match last night for the tag team titles? I lost my mind. Oh my god! So I've been like. They've given us Sasha Bailey for the last year building it up, and I was like, clearly they deserve it. Like this is gonna be crazy, right. but I did not think they were gonna do it. Like especially with Sasha being hurt, I was like, no, they're gonna give it to someone else. Um, definitely not, you know. But I, I almost passed out. I was screaming so loud, and I was so excited yesterday. I, I couldn't even tell you. Um, I almost just stopped watching the rest. I was like, what, what's left? I don't understand. This is all I want. <laughs> like, right. Um, but I stayed and then I got to see, you know, Kofi Kingston, like, give us the match of his life. Honestly, that was incredible, too. Oh, um, my goodness. Yes. He, deser- he deserves a title reign. He, he, oh, man. Yeah, he deserves that title. <laughs> I hope he takes it at Mania. Dude, it'd be great, man. It'd be so good. I would love, I would love, and you hear the crowd wanting it. You hear the Oh, my God. I, I actually started crying. Uh, because clearly, like, I knew they weren't going to give it to him. I knew it would be the reversal of the gauntlet match from last week. But I was like, you know what? As long as- It was Houston. I couldn't believe that the crowd was on his side. Like, I- it just blew my mind. I was like, yo, are they chanting for this black man right now? Right. This is crazy. <laughs> and then at the end when it's done and they just start, like, thanking him. And I was like, I can't. I can't handle this. Oh, my God. This is truly, like, the greatest night, like, the only thing that could have made it better if he got the if he got the the title, but again, maybe he'll take it at Mania. Let let Daniel Bryan keep it until Mania, and then Kofi can have it. Right. Let's hope. Let's hope. And what do you think of Becky Lynch? I love her. This, She's the new Stone Cold Steve Austin, straight up. This is this is one of the greatest things ever. We're we're seeing we're seeing classic stuff right now from Becky, Becky Lynch. It's it, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I love I love Becky Lynch. I enjoyed her coming out looking like Jean Grey into the ring and delivering the ultimate ass whooping. It was incredible. I love her on the mic. She makes me every time she picks up a mic, I'm like, yes, we're gonna get something good. Thank God, because some of these some of these wrestlers do not know what they're doing. She's just, just like, she's what we deserve. <laughs> like, definitely, she's the best. She's the reason that like. I honestly like watch wrestling on the regular. She's what we deserve. She's the new Stone Cold. She's gonna make people who didn't care about wrestling care about wrestling. Hell yeah, hell yeah. And uh, going back to yeah, something we you talked about early in um, early in this episode also is that um, uh, Leanna King is saying that you know you're her, her uh, music soulmate. So let me ask you <laughs> something. Are you you know what kind of music do you like? You know what you what are you bumping these days? Uh, yeah, no, I like a lot of different kinds of music. Uh, I am super into Dead Posey right now. Uh, I am super into Cardi B right now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, always. I've been listening to Money on Loop. Um, I got into, (laughs) it's so good. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of Post Malone, which my wife hated at first, but now she's obsessed. Um, (laughs) and, uh, Janelle Monae, always. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like music in general. Um, 
I get into these grooves of finding an artist and then just listening to them on loop um, and then making playlists based around their music. Um, during a normal week, though, I I curate playlists for whatever projects that I'm working on, and so I'll listen to whatever the playlist is for that. Oh, nice. How, what's your idea, you know, behind, you know, making these playlists uh, for when you're working? I like to get into the mood of whatever character uh, that I'm that I'm working with primarily. It helps me write a lot. A bad kind of music pairing can ruin a day of writing. Uh, literally could just make everything that I've written useless. So I, I start with a couple of songs that I think represent the character. And then from there, I, I kind of build around that. Um, and then sometimes if it has to be a certain kind of issue, like the the third issue of Livewire is a very specific kind of like story or chunk of story. I'll make a playlist that corresponds with the emotion of that. Great. Yeah. I would love it if you uh, could make a playlist to go on with this episode. Yeah, sure, man. Just give me, uh, give me how many songs you want on it. And I, I got you. Oh I do, yeah. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want to put on there. Okay, I will. I'll do that after we uh, after we hang up, and I'll send it to you. Cool. Before we get out of here, there's a couple. You know, just a couple more questions. I mean, these are things I usually like to ask people. Um, what sort? What's like a nugget of knowledge? You know, from your life or career that anybody listening to this podcast, no matter what avenue of artistry, they can sort of project into their own life. Um, hustle. <laughs> Hustle is the number one most important thing to me. Um, you know, don't wait for people to give you permission to do a thing. Just if you're a writer, just write, write all the time. You know what I mean? And then you'll get an opportunity to show someone and you'll be ready. If you're an artist, draw or paint or, you know, sculpt every day or a couple of times a week. Just keep doing it, whatever it is that you want to do, because they'll come to you. You know what I mean? Like, and you're all, also, you're doing it for yourself. Like I could go get a job somewhere else with like health insurance if I wanted to, I had one, but I'm writing because it's what I'm compelled to do. And so, you know, I take it seriously. So yeah, I guess hustle is number one. Right. And I always like to end uh, my, um, my interviews with the same question. And that uh, question is, who is somebody, you know, from your life or career that I could realistically interview for this podcast that would have some good stories or lessons to talk about? Hmm, that is a good question. Um, there are a couple of people. I, if you, if you manage to find a way to pin Matthew Rosenberg down, he's a great one. Um, let's see who else, you know, I, I could actually send you a list, but I think that. Yeah. Send me a list anyone, also, but. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I think anyone that like worked at Black Mask is great to talk to because Black Mask is a small enough company where you're doing your whoever's in charge of the team is in charge of the book, um, and so like you know how to produce a book, and I think that a lot of that knowledge is is crucial when people are trying to you know get their feet out or under them rather. Um, so yeah, people people that work at Black, Black Mask, uh, Lonnie. And Zach, who are now running Age of X-Men, are great. And they're very, very friendly. And they love talking to people. You can hit them up on Twitter. Uh, Mags would be great to talk to. Uh, yeah. 
know, you've already talked to Liana, so um, Emily, Emily Pearson, my co-creator um, on The Wilds would be great. Yep. Uh, Lisa Sterrell would be great. So, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's been great talking with you. And uh, before we get out of here, where can people go online to get more information about you? Yeah, sure. I'm on Twitter and Instagram all of the time. Uh, definitely Vita is my my Twitter and Instagram handle. So yeah, it's been great talking to you, man. So that was my interview with Vita Ayala. That was so great to talk with her. All the information about where you can, you know, follow her and support her are in the show notes for this episode at freshofthepodcast.com. And also, she did hook us up with a Spotify playlist that will be embedded in those uh, show notes, too, at freshofthepodcast.com. And next weekend, I'll be at the E2C2 comic book pop culture convention in Chicago. So if you're going to be there, holler at your boy. And also, next week, we're going to have a pair of interviews in conjunction with the promotion called Old Wrestling. They do this old-timey themed wrestling, uh, these wrestling shows, and they're going to be in Detroit on March 30th at the Detroit Whiskey Factory. And we're going to be running a contest for some, for some uh, old wrestling swag and some uh, swag from our, one of our sponsors, 20 by 20 Apparel. So be on the lookout for that starting March 18th next week. For more information, how to uh, get involved into that giveaway. All right, that's another show in the books. Thank you for listening. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.